Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, it's our desire now that as we, we devote ourselves to a few red letters, things that your son Jesus actually said, not what people said about what he said, not what people imagined he might have said, but Father, what he said, and that his disciples just drank in. And your Holy Spirit have preserved for us. And so may these words of Jesus Christ take root in our heart today. Just like he mentioned in the parable of the seed, may they find our hearts to be good ground, good soil. And even before we leave this place, may they start to bear a harvest. For we ask this in his own name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today on this Valentine's Day, I would draw your attention to some of the most familiar and yet perhaps the most desperately needed words Jesus ever uttered. And here they are. Today's red letter scripture, John chapter 15, verse 12 and verse 17. We, we put those together. Here's how they read. Jesus says, my command, and he was talking to his disciples the very last night of his life, the, the night they spent that last meal together, and then he went out into the horrors of the crucifixion, he said to them that night, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. This is my command, love one another. Now, in this passage... We have to point out the Greek word that Jesus uses again and again for love is, is, of course, that wonderful word, agape. Agape. This is the love that uniquely characterizes God himself, as in, for God so loved the world. It's not a word that communicates the love of friends. The Greek language had a word for that. And it's not a word that communicates the love of family. The Greek language had a word for that too. And on this Valentine's Day, let me point out that it is not a word that communicates the love of lovers. The Greek language had a word specifically devoted to that. It's not even a word that uniquely communicates Christian brotherhood love. The Greek language had a word that the Holy Spirit chose to do that. The Greek word agape is broader and nobler and purer than any of those others. Agape is born of a desire for something truly good to come to its object. To feel agape says, I want something really good to come to you if you are the target of my love. 
You see, agape grows out of a deep resolution of will. It's really a decision, not a feeling, not a surge of something that just sort of overpowers me, but it's a decision of will to will a certain thing. That is to seek the best for the one that it focuses upon. To say, I want God to bless you. I want God's best to come to you. That's a, that's a decision we've made. That's what I want. We're saying, Lord, this is what I desire. This is what I want. Agape has a, a willfulness about it. And agape, as it exercises its will, wants something good, something godly, something of a blessing to come to the one that it is targeted on. It's with agape love that Jesus related to his disciples. And it is thus with agape love that Jesus was commanding his disciples to treat one another. He was saying to them, agape each other the same way that I have agaped you. No ifs, ands, or buts. Jesus says, I'm commanding this. This is what I want. This is what I'm telling you as your Lord. You see, this is one of those commands of Jesus that, like Jesus said, when put into action, will develop a rock-like character within us. People who learn to agape, people who are fueled by agape, people who have settled that decision once and for all about how they will view the people around them, develop a consistency, a rock-solid stability in their life. And so on this Valentine's Day, which celebrates one of those shades of love, let's engage ourselves in a bit of agape investigation. For the truth is, when agape, now listen to this, when agape is added to every other kind of love, and it can be, when that genuine desire to want nothing but God's best for a person is added to the love I have for a friend, when it's added to the love I have for my family, when it's added to the love that you have for the one you love as a husband or wife, when it's added to the love that you have for your church family. That love develops an exponentially greater impact. Agape is marvelous. It's miracle working. So you want better friendships? You want a better family life? You want a better marriage? Jesus would say, add agape to the mix. In other words... Love one another in those various settings as I have loved you. Now, the first application of that, Jesus was telling his own disciples they should apply it to each other. Peter should really love Matthew, the tax collector. They should love Judas, the zealot who wanted to overthrow Rome and maybe get them all killed. 
You need to love you 12 guys right here, soon to become 11. You need to love each other. And you need to demonstrate that love among yourselves, the very love that I demonstrated in front of you, and that love will be the main thing that will define you. And so you might say it's job one. So it starts among born-again believers who are in touch with each other. But then, as you'll see, it of course spreads out because God himself agapes the whole world. And he would want those who love him to follow him in that respect as well. Jesus died for the whole world. And so we come to today's key question that we want to pursue a bit. How exactly did Jesus love? How can his love be characterized if we broke it down into sort of various aspects of it? Well, I asked that question of the Holy Spirit earlier this week, and here's what popped into my mind. Actually, about six or seven things popped into my mind, and I wrote them down quick, and for this message today, I sort of organized them into these four. These four. Four incredibly impressive characteristics of the love that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, demonstrated to his disciples in the years he walked with them. And so this is the love that Jesus demonstrated and the love by which we are to be defined. The love he demonstrated, the love by which we are to be defined was in his day and is still today a love that bridges all gaps. I think we just about sang that. The chasm between him and us. We sang about his love is broader. Broader than that, it reaches. His love bridges all gaps. <clears throat> There's no difference too great. It bridged the gap between heaven and earth. And that's huge. That's huge. It bridged the gap between the totally sinless realm and a sin-filled realm. It bridged the gap between one class of men, however they might be classified, and another. Jesus said, if I can just amplify a little bit, Jesus said, I, <clears throat> the sinless one, have come from heaven to call sinners to repentance. That is to wholeness and health. Luke 5, 32. Matthew eleven twenty eight in a verse we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. Jesus was the perfect, sinless, holy Son of God, and he looked out and he saw people who were just mired in difficulty and distress, overwhelmed probably most of them by the effects of their sinful behaviors. And they're just weary, and they're burdened, they're distraught, they're dismayed. Life for them was anything but joyful. And he says, you come to me, because I've come all the way from heaven to you. I've just got to say, it's a distressing thing. I trust as distressing to you as it is to me. Some frightening and distressing gaps have developed in the church of Jesus Christ in these days. These gaps 
that put one group of believers over here and another group of born-again believers over here grieve the Holy Spirit and certainly harm the work of God and steal away the joy and the peace of those very believers who have caught, gotten caught up in something that has divided them from other believers. We have today born-again believers standing on opposite sides of the great divide called politics. As though any political position has eternal values locked up in it. And yet the church of Jesus Christ has been divided by political views and political aims and political personalities as somehow to be over here puts me on God's side locked up with all God's truth and over here puts me on the devil's side and there's no truth over here at all. That isn't true. That isn't true, but we find believers who are separated by a great divide, both of them claiming they're standing on God's side of the thing. This distresses the spirit. This distresses the spirit. We are born again believers standing on opposite sides of the great divide today called social justice. As though God himself has taken a side in the perplexing and distressing problems in our sin-filled society. Oh, there's coming a day when justice will rule through, roll through the earth when the king of justice arrives, when the righteous one himself is upon the throne. But as long as sinful men and women are seeking to determine what is just and what is not, they'll miss as many times as they hit. And when believers get divided according to the definitions that men have come up with, it grieves the Holy Spirit. And it certainly lessens the love that is flowing across that divide. In fact, it doesn't make it across at all. To Jesus, see, the issue was, are you weary and burdened? There are many that life is treated unfairly. Jesus has come to me. There are many who due to the circumstances of their life have, have suffered far more pain than others. Jesus has come to me. Come to me, I can see it's a wearisome burden. I can see that it is, has overwhelmed perhaps I can see it bring you to the point of, of thinking nobody cares at all. And others come to the point of saying, I just don't see the deal. And there's no peace in them either. And Jesus, Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, if you're distressed over the destructive nature of this world, Listen, we, we are a sin-infiltrated society. And sin works its way out into human relationships that 
that can grieve God. And when the church of Jesus Christ gets caught up in trying to decide where they will stand in these various issues, rather than just stand with Jesus Christ who says, come unto me. I can see you're hurting. Just come unto me. You who labor and are heavy laden. Let's drop the labels. Let's just come. Come to Christ. Whatever it might be. See, Jesus, that's the question. Are you weary and burdened? Are you distressed and distraught? Are you beat down and, and defeated? Well, my goodness. Our message is we know the one, we know one who says, Come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and burdened. Are you seeking to be right with God? Come to me, Jesus says. Are you living? Are you a living being carrying the image of God upon you? That's all it takes. Are you actually a human being? And Jesus says, come to me. Whatever condition or wherever you come from, if you carry the image of God upon you, you are one for whom I'm, I will die and that my Father loves. You just come. You come from wherever you are. See, to Jesus, that's the issue. His love bridges all the gaps. If you are one of those, he would say, come unto me for I have come for you. I believe he would also say to you and me, let agape soften your heart to those around you. Beginning with those who are mine. Oh, don't think badly about a fellow believer. Don't think badly about someone who who you know is committed to Jesus Christ and yet has a different take on things than you might and, and maybe a different take than you think is even right, apply agape. Apply agape, that one, and just say, I want the very, very best for you. I want the very, very best. I want God to bless you richly and let God and his Holy Spirit work it out in, in all these lives. Well, we are standing in Christ's place, in the middle of the bridge. His love bridges all gaps. Second thing, got to move ahead here. So we see that the love that Jesus demonstrated and by which we are to be defined was and is a love that bridges all gaps. Secondly, I'd share with you this morning that his was a love that touches all the bases. Touches all the bases, nothing overlooked. There is nothing that Jesus' love will not address and redress. He makes all things new. And the reason he makes all things new is because a lot of things are broken. A lot of things need to be made new. Situations in our lives, in the lives of those we love. Jesus, as he looked around his disciples, and that means everything, anything that needs to be fixed, joins the list of things Jesus sets about to accomplish. Remember the night he was betrayed? If anybody should be weary and burdened, it ought to be him. 
He should have walked into that room that night, sat down in his chair, you know, like the TV commercial, you don't have to become your parents. And the guy collapses down and gives a sigh like his dad used to give. And it's like, man, he's turning into his old man. Jesus could have come in that night and just collapsed and had a long face. And every one of his disciples says, Lord, what's wrong? What's wrong? Oh, my goodness. I can see you're weary and burdened. If you're weary and burdened, they can't say, come to me. But he didn't do that, did he? He was just hours away from being beaten within an inch of his life, saved only so he could then be put on a cross and have his life ebb away rather than be beat away. And he knew it was coming, and here he is, and he walks into that group of his weary guys. They're burdened down by the concerns of life. And they come to have a, a nice meal, a Passover meal, a, a special meal, a, a significant meal. And they rushed and got it together. If you ever let men in charge of putting anything together, you know it's going to be rushed, it's not going to be quite right, there's going to be things forgotten, there's going to be obvious things that they just overlooked. And so he walks in and he sees his disciples lounging around that cushion table the way they ate in those days and and he notices over in the corner here there's a, a basin of water and and he notices that not one of them has clean feet and so Jesus who doesn't overlook anything it might be something very very small we think in our lives we say oh, I'll deal with that someday I'll think about that tomorrow it's really not that big of a deal. You know, it, it just, who's getting hurt by? Jesus doesn't overlook anything. Some of those things qualify as our dirty feet. And he says, we better clean that up, don't you think? And he picked up the basin of water just like he was a common servant. And he begins to wash each one of their feet because that's what actually needed to be done right then. He touches all the bases, even if it's a menial thing. And even if they were too important to do it themselves. They didn't even wash their own feet one by one because you don't do that. And none of them chose to wash everybody's feet. Don't you think Jesus had dirty feet too? Didn't he just walk in from the dusty street? Isn't it interesting how the Bible never says, and not one of them, even when Jesus got done, does it say, jumped up, took the basin, and said, Lord, now let me wash your feet. But Jesus noticed it. There is nothing that his love will not address and redress. You see, there's a power and a presence in the love of Christ that does indeed heal the brokenhearted, just getting them into his presence. When a hurting soul comes into the presence of a born-again believer who's filled with the love of God, just being in their presence is a healing. You don't have to talk them to death. You don't have to argue them out of whatever it is that you... Just 
be there and let them know you want nothing but God's best for them. And, and see what effect that has. Because that's something the Holy Spirit can really use. You see, the power, the presence, and the love of Christ, it, it identifies points of distress. It identifies points of self-condemnation. It identifies feelings of unworthiness or rejection. Even among believers, these things can have a hold on their soul. There's never been a more critical time for the Church of Jesus Christ to demonstrate and declare the healing power found in the love of Christ than right now in this land. Agape is never superficial or casual. Agape is not content until the one upon whom it is focused has become emotionally and spiritually whole. Never enough to say, well, I told them. Big deal. You might leave their presence with them feeling worse than they were when you met them because now you told them, heaped a little more on top of them. You see, Jesus never left a person worse off than he found them. Love will do that. Love just makes you want to help. Makes you want to see this person just come into a state of, of peace and joy and health and, and understanding. In the book of Hebrews, we read this amazing statement, talking about Jesus' ability and intention even now from his throne in heaven. It says, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. How many of you would say your experience, well, I don't want you to raise your hand, but I think a lot of Christians have been saved to the almost most. Now they get this much saved. They get that much saved. When you get saved to the uttermost, that means there's not a part of your life that the love and grace of Jesus Christ has not touched. And it hasn't been affected. And you truly are understanding what it means to be a child of God, born into the family of God spiritually, and you're being saved and and you might even be getting near the place where you could say, man, there's not much untouched. I know he wants to save me to the uttermost, and I'm just amazed at the things that he says altered in me already. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. Think of the story of Zacchaeus, the crooked tax collector. Now, in Jesus' day, his disciples would say, you don't have to say crooked. Just say tax collector. It's understood they're all crooked. Well, he was a chief tax collector. So he not only stole from people, but he probably got a percentage of all the other tax collectors' thievery as well. Jesus invited himself, you know, to Zacchaeus' home. And as a result of Jesus being in his presence. The Bible doesn't even record the brilliant sermon Jesus must have preached. 
I suspect he didn't preach any. He just came in there and brought the love and power and peace of presence of God with him, and Zacchaeus was transformed. And Zacchaeus winds up demonstrating that he, he was now seeing the people around him differently. They weren't just sheep to be fleeced. They were human beings who needed every dime they had to be able to make a living. And he began to say, okay, there's a proper role that I have. The government does need its share. We are living peacefully thanks to the Roman army. But the government doesn't deserve, and I don't deserve, one denarius more than what is right. And so at the end of that evening, he stands up in the middle of all his friends, probably a lot of other tax collectors there too, and he says, listen, if there is anyone I have defrauded, and that probably brought chuckles, if there is anyone that I have defrauded, he said, I will pay them back four times. Four times. With the understanding he was never going to cheat anybody again. Didn't say he quit his job. A job's a job. is a necessary job, just like those who are tax collectors today. But he said, I will never, the impression is, never cheat anybody again. Because these people, these people are not just targets for me to take advantage of. They're people. And the more he might have been influenced by Jesus' words and Jesus' presence, I might imagine the day Zacchaeus would say, and I want every one of them to flourish. I want every one of them to be successful. And of course, as they're successful, taxes go, my share comes. But I want them to prosper because they're people that God loves. They're people that this man, Jesus, came to, to minister to. And he's helping me to see them the way he sees them. Oh, gee, what a, nothing, nothing left undone. How about the woman at the well? She was in another example of a gap that was bridged. Her own townspeople didn't associate with her. She was such an immoral woman, had such a track record, had probably broken up a number of families in the town. In those days, women didn't have five husbands just because they found five young men who had never been married, they, she stole other women's husbands. And now she's living with a man who probably was somebody else's husband that she didn't marry. She was a despicable person in people's eyes. And, and Jesus bridges the gap and begins to share with her the truths. The truths of God. Truths about himself. And, and letting her understand that, that, that her life could be different. Her life could, could have something like living water flowing through it that would just bubble up and, and give her a reason to get up every morning. And she was changed. But Jesus, Jesus didn't let the little detail about her immoral life just be ignored. He pointed it out and and because of his love and his presence and his non-condemning attitude, even though he was helping her see, she changed. 
And she influenced her entire village because of the love of Christ. See, all of these things, all of these things, Jesus identifies even the smallest thing and says, let's take care of that. Let's take care of that. Jesus' theme could easily be this. Until you are saved from it all, you're not really saved at all. Oh, we can be forgiven of sins and have hell taken off of our destination map. But Jesus is concerned with saving it all, saving us all, correcting everything until we begin to shine with the, with the glow of actually Christ-likeness. Peter says you're receiving that. You're in the process of receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation, the full salvation of your very soul. He changed that woman. He changed Zacchaeus just by bringing them into his presence. So the love of Christ administered by the Holy Spirit would sensitize us to the needs of our fellow believers. So we should be asking when we're with one another, especially if we see that looks like weary and heavy laden kind of look to say, wow, what is wrong? Can you tell me? And then just listen. Be willing to listen. What is wrong? Can you tell me? What has been your experience growing up in this country? Could you tell me? I'm completely unaware of uh, many of the things that have been part of your life. Could you tell me? Could you help me understand? These are questions that really should easily come to the lips of one who just says, I want nothing but God's best for you. I really want nothing but God's best for you. The love that Jesus demonstrated, the love by which we are to be defined, was and is a love that does touch all the bases, leaves nothing out. We're concerned with the whole life and the whole person. Well, thirdly, share this morning this. His love was a love that forgives all offenses. Friendship love can be destroyed by offense. Family love can be really stressed by offense. The love of lovers can be actually broken up and, and gone due to offense. And even within the church of Jesus Christ, the bond we have as brothers and sisters together in Christ, if the offense is offensive enough, that love can break too. Agape love can't. Agape love won't. Any of those other loves that are also partnered with agape love, they will stand through times of offense and they'd be willing to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. We say here, a love that forgives all offenses, no grudge remains. His, that is Jesus' love, has a very short memory. This is the one time, or at least one time, when Alzheimer's would be wonderful. 
Every now and then you see TV shows where some elderly person's in a rest home and, and the daughter, the son, or someone is faithful and coming in to visit them every day. Every day. And every day that elderly, that elderly person experiences the joy of meeting them all over again. They don't remember any bad thing this child did growing up. They don't remember any bad thing that child said to them, any offensive thing, any nasty thing. They, they just, it's like we're only in this moment right here. And you've come to see me. And you're lovely. And you say you're my daughter. Well, this is just awesome. This is wonderful. See, Jesus lives in the moment. When he died on the cross, he died for our sins, to pay for them. And when he paid for them, he really paid for them. And the Bible says that God removes them as far from us as the east is from the west. And he remembers them. When I was a little boy, well, let me just give you this scripture. We have 1 Peter 4.8. Peter, who knew this firsthand from the Lord, he said, love will cover over a multitude of sins. How many is a multitude? Do we ever count up with our kids, with our spouse? Ever the old joke, somebody said, that's one. Okay, well, how many do I get? Well, that's two. Peter said one day to the Lord, Lord, I'm trying to rise above my own natural condition. I'm trying to rise above my desire to make people pay for what they do. How about, how about this, Lord? He expected a pat on the back because the other disciples would say, Peter, you're nuts. Peter says, how about if I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And we're almost thinking commits the same sin over and over and over. And over. How, how about if I forgive him seven times? Because, you know, seven is the biblical number of completion. It's a wonderful number. How about, Lord, if I forgive him seven times? I think I'm ready to go that far. All the way to seven, Lord. And Jesus didn't pat him on the back. He basically said, and the thought would be behind it, Peter, if I only went to seven, you're already gone. And so he says to Peter, Peter, 70 times seven. And I don't believe Jesus expected Peter to bend down and work that out in the sand. Let's see, seven times, 70 times, seven, zero, seven times seven is... I only made it to second grade, seven times seven, some 490. Thank you. The banker speaks up. <laughs> See? Peter, there's no limit. 490, 70 times seven. I mean, we all agree he'd never do the same thing that you have to forgive him for that many times. But even if he did, Peter, forgiveness doesn't have a... Uh, a limit. A love that forgives all offenses. And guess what, Peter? He's going to offend you in other ways as well. Now, here's something that helps. If you only want God's best for another person, 
If you only want God to bless that person, and that is your focus, a lot of the stuff they do won't even offend you. You only get offended when you sort of think they owe you. And you ought to be benefiting from this relationship rather than giving all the time. And so if you're expecting something and you don't get it or you get a different thing or you get told something that disappoints, now you're offended. They let you down. If you just want to see them thrive, it's hard to get offended. You just say, well, that's them. Oh, God, help them. Help them. Here's a song, a line from a song that we used to sing when I was a boy. It goes like this. Not going to sing it, just going to read it, but it carries a great thought. It says, God remembers. Now, the first time I heard a fellow sing that song in an evangelistic uh, uh, camp meeting, I thought, my mother swears by that. She would tell me all along, Mark, God sees everything. He marks it down. He keeps track. So the song begins, God remembers. I thought, oh boy, I don't need to hear that really that much more. The second line, God remembers. Okay, we're going to drive this in. Third time, God remembers. Brief pause, and then the singer adds, to forget. That's what God's good at remembering. He remembers to forget. He doesn't hold on to stuff. God remembers, God remembers, God remembers. He's committed to forgetting all those things that are in our past. That's love. And that can be what, what we are characterized to. Remember, Jesus forgave the Roman soldiers. Father, forgive them. Jesus forgave Thomas when Thomas says, I will not believe unless I see it. Thomas, come and reach out your hand. Just put it in my side. No, how dare you not believe? No, just Thomas. Hey, no offense taken. Come, reach out your hand. Peter, after the horrible denials and the, the, the guilt that Peter felt, Jesus sits down with him and says, Peter, I have a task for you. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take an active role in the kingdom work that will be going forward. And then Saul. Saul who persecuted the church. Saul who stood right there when Stephen, the great believer, young believer, was stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Saul, I have a task for you. You will be my instrument to the Gentiles, he had uh, that message delivered by Ananias to Saul. He will be my instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He's forgiven. It's forgotten. There's a, we're moving forward. That's the kind of love that Jesus has. And then just one last thing. His love is a love that knows no end. Never ends. We are forever its target. Never look in the mirror and say, when's God going to quit loving me? Oh, the way I feel about things right now, I'm, I don't even know if God loves me. But God's love never ends. It never ends. We're forever its target. 
I wrote down here on the list, I don't remember a whole lot of our songs. I remember more songs from when I was a kid, like I just, but this phrase just jumped right into my mind when I was at this point in the message, just a phrase that says, hey, I know that. His love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. We sing that a lot. Stay alert this morning. Paul put it this way, not in a song, but in a scripture, Romans 8, 39. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul surely found that to be true. It was a love that forgave him. It was a love that gifted him. It was a love that sent him into a mission of, of incredible significance in the kingdom of God. And by the end of his life, Paul is saying, you know, nothing. Nothing can separate a child of God, a born-again child of God, from the love of God, which is primarily located in Jesus Christ. That's what we who know, that's what those who know us should find to be true as well. They should find we never give up on each other. We never stop wanting God's very best for one another. We always love one another and experience together all the benefits of that love. And Jesus said that would be a very powerful kind of evangelism. When the unbeliever says, behold, how these people love each other. And I know some of those people. And I know they're pretty messed up. I know they're just human beings. They have failures. They have flaws. They, but I tell you, that church over there, they just stick with each other. They love each other. They're committed to each other. They would always help each other over a hump, whatever it might be, financial, physical, whatever. They're, a, they're an amazing group of people. See, that's what Jesus said. The world will know that you belong to me, really if you demonstrate the kind of love for each other that I've demonstrated for you. People in our world today don't know anything about what kind of love Jesus demonstrated, but they sure know when they see it in us that it's something they're not familiar with and that we can get to tell them that the Son of God once came to earth and he loved all men that came to him in that way. And he has loved us individually in that way. And as a result, we love one another that way because we are his. And so our final thought just says this. Love is indeed a many-splendored thing. And I would add this, and you might want to add it. May the splendor of Christ's love shine in our midst. It already does a lot, doesn't it? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words uttered by Jesus Christ over the years, preserved in the scripture, able to be read and discussed today. Father, today, Jesus would say to us, just like he did to his disciples years ago, as I have loved you, you are to love one another. This is my commandment. Love, agape. Desire the very, very best. God's fullest blessing 
for each other. Father, fill our hearts with such love. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And may we rejoice in knowing we bring pleasure to you as we share it together. For this we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.